everyone. Um, uh, some of you have been coming along to uh, all of these uh, Thursday evening sessions. Uh, others of you probably are coming along for the first time or come for part of this series. So uh, uh, we've been trying to structure these so that they're applicable for both for um, people just uh, coming to an individual session or uh, as a whole series. And uh, I, I like to preface uh, all of these evenings by saying that um, you know, if uh, I'm presuming too much or I'm using too much sort of Buddhist jargon and I'm losing people or um, it's uh, uh, something that I'm saying seems to depend on something that else that's gone before where you've, that you've missed, you're sort of opening the book at chapter four, then uh, please feel free to, to kind of uh, ask and, and uh, have things clarified because it's all for uh, for you, you know. So <laughs> uh, if you're being mystified or sort of lost in the in the verbiage, then please speak up and, and let us know, and we can help to try and uh, clarify things as much as possible. So the uh, the theme uh, for this evening. Firstly, has everyone got enough space to sit? Everyone. Well enough situated? Okay. So the theme for this evening is uh, giving and receiving heart. And so what I'd like to, to do, uh, uh, as with all these evenings, I'll introduce the theme for about 20-25 um, minutes or so, and then we'll have a, a guided meditation and then open things up for some, uh, uh, some discussion and questions and so forth. The... Um, Essentially, this theme is a, a very significant one in, in the, the realm of, of Buddhist meditation, um, and that uh, particularly in the uh, in the southern Buddhist countries, uh, where the uh, the Theravada tradition um, is carried on, that's uh, the the uh, Theravada means the Way of the Elders, one of the uh, oldest schools of Buddhism. So, in the countries of Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka, uh, Cambodia this area of the world, um, has uh, been sustained uh, uh, along with the other elements of meditation practice of concentration and insight that we've talked about in the first uh, few meetings to, to some uh, extent. The quality of, of loving kindness or metta in, uh, um, uh, in Buddhist practice is also very heavily emphasized very much stressed. So that um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about this quality of loving-kindness this evening and to uh, explore uh, one or two methods of, of developing it uh, by, uh, by the use of meditation. Uh, loving-kindness, um, the word metta literally means something... It's, there's not really an English word that quite matches it. Um, so that some people would translate it as uh, loving friendliness or universal kindness, um, these different different ways. Can our friend get in the door? Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. And um, one of the ways that, um, that the Buddha characterized this was to, uh, to take the example of uh, the 
the love that a, a mother has for her only child and to say, you know, if one looks at that kind of, of love, that kind of unquestioning, unconditional affection, then the aim of, of metta practice, loving-kindness practice, and, and this element is to cultivate that, to develop that, so that one could have that same kind of unquestioning uh, benevolence, unquestioning, unconditional kindness to all other beings, uh, regardless of their, their station, their qualities, um, whether they are uh, humans or animals, whether they are uh, friendly, indifferent, or hostile, with, uh, whatever nature, uh, to develop this kind of uh, caring and friendliness towards uh, all, all beings. Now, the, um, one of the things that is, um, is very characteristic about this quality um, is that there's a particular patterns of meditation that we can do, and so later this evening we'll probably use this in the guided meditation, whereby you um, say, begin by bringing forth, like imagining someone or thinking of someone that you love very dearly, you have an automatic sense of affection and, and kindness, a warmth towards, maybe to your child or to your, uh, your partner or to um, your pet. Being English is often... <laughs> we relate to pets a lot more easily than we do to humans sometimes. But, but whatever it might be, where there's an in instinctual, complete uh, and uh, unequivocal sense of affection and kindness, so by, by bringing that kind of image to mind, then arousing that quality, feeling that quality of, of kindness, and then by uh, making that fully conscious, then uh, slowly extending that. Uh, and there's, there's a couple of different ways that one can do this. Firstly, in a, in a geographical way. So one might imagine, um, first of all, uh, beginning by spreading loving kindness towards yourself. Oftentimes in, in the sort of... And the Judeo-Christian inheritance that we've, uh, uh, most of us have, have uh, arrived in this world uh, bearing, uh, you know, the uh, number one gets uh, is last on the affection list. <laughs> that we uh, we wouldn't we would think of loving ourselves as being some kind of gross indulgence or some kind of uh, inflated quality or something that's sort of unseemly or definitely unspiritual, liking ourselves. Um, but uh, in Buddhist practice, uh, it, the Buddha pointed out that if we can't have loving-kindness towards ourselves, towards this person, then how can we possibly uh, have any kind of real loving-kindness towards any other being? So that uh, in, in uh, uh, all respects, in all different styles of, of practice of loving-kindness meditation, it always begins with having kindness towards ourselves. And one way that um, it, it's sometimes easier to... Um, relate rather than trying to have uh, loving kindness or benevolence towards our personality which might be a little bit tricky <laughs> all of us have certain traits we'd rather do without or we kind of wish we could edit out um, we can at least have loving kindness towards our own body that uh, we can have that kind of friendliness and affection towards this, this uh, uh, companion in life that we have our, our own sort of ever, a never departing pet 
And just like a pet, you know, when when you when the master treats the the uh, the, the pet with affection, then of course, you know, the, the pet responds. Unless it's a particularly sort of uh, kind of a superior cat <laughs> that looks with disdain upon all humans, but the, let's just say it's a dog for the time being. That if you bestow affection on the dog, then of course the dog responds with great glee and is incredibly happy because you know the uh, uh, mother is is paying attention and uh, and is and there's this kind of joyful, uh, vigorous and, and friendly response. So similarly, when we we fill the body with a quality of attention and kindness, then we also can find that the body actually responds. We find ourselves kind of brightening up and and the the body itself seems to sort of chirp up a bit and uh, have a little bit more energy and, and uh, vitality um, uh, more kind of uh, a quality of balance and, uh, and uh, vigor so by beginning by uh, filling our own being with, with this quality of kindness then we can spread it out uh, as I said geographically so then first of all to the other people in the room that we're, we're sharing uh, and then from that room then into the, the area uh, uh, the other beings in the building and then to uh, uh, it, then slowly spreading out through the, uh, the area of the town and then the district the, uh, the county the state then all over the country and it, it depends how uh, graphic one's imagination can be uh, but spreading out through um, throughout the, the country you can just sort of witness this sort of uh, like a, a warm golden light slowly spreading across the 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 face of the of uh, the nation and then north and south in all directions and slowly and gently kind of wrapping the entire globe and everywhere it it reaches it touches the you know the lives of, of all of the creatures uh, the other beings the, the the plants and animals the insects the birds the fishes the small and great and all of the human beings obviously those who are in a good situation, a painful situation, those who are beautiful, those who are ugly, those who are sick, those who are just born, those who are just dying. You know, the imagination can play with all kinds of, of, of images and one can uh, visualize this quality of, of kindness wrapping the entire planet, embracing the entire planet. And then even beyond that, spreading out from just this one little blue ball floating in in this particular patch of the cosmos to to spread out through uh, through the universe this is one methodology one can use another is to uh, rather than going through geography going through the different categories of of uh, of of being so first of all we start with having begun with ourselves then we go to the the beings that we love that are very uh, dear to us and then uh, those uh, to whom we are, uh, who we know that we're indifferent to, and then those that uh, are close to us with whom we have conflict or people who hate us or we have feelings of aversion or negativity towards. And then we can and spread through the, the rest of the, of the human realm, out to people we don't know, again, those who, are, those who we admire, those we're indifferent to, those that we feel threatened by or that we feel aversion towards. And again, kind of bringing in, as we go along, all the different categories, um, the, the attractive, the, the neutral, and the, the unattractive. And then after we've done all the humans, <laughs> it depends how much of a sort of orderly mind you have. You can kind of get, you know, if you're a Virgo, 
<laughs> like I am, then we're kind of, we're, we're stricken with a list-making mind. Yeah, so we like to have all our categories neatly stacked up and have everything done in the right order. <laughs> so if you have that kind of ailment or disposition, then you can do it that way. Or you can just be very sort of free-form and, uh, and sculpted as you choose. But basically, working through the different categories of beings, you might have a, a lot of fun imagining all the kind of the, the many-footed creatures or the, the, uh, the little tiny microscopic bugs or the, uh, the plants and the rocks and the, the streams and the, the, the great beings, the, the elephants and whales, the, the tiny beings, the little critters in all dimensions. Beings in other realms, like uh, beings in the in the kind of invisible realms of, say, the ghosts or the angelic beings or the uh, demonic beings in other other realms of, of the cosmos. Uh, however, we want to do it. Just uh, we can uh, create a, a different pattern of patterns of of um, spreading from this heart, this. Uh, this, uh, the center of this being, like a generator of this quality of, of beautiful uh, sentiment and uh, intention, sending forth that uh, noble aspiration to, to uh, meet every being with a quality of, of kindness and friendliness. So this is, in a way, what we term as sort of as giving heart. But it's uh, one of the things about loving kindness that is is kind of striking is um, numerous times when I've been leading retreats and I might have mentioned this uh, earlier on um, in one of the classes you know, I forget what I've said to whom when <laughs> so if I'm repeating myself you know, just ignore what I said before <laughs> so one of the one, uh, one of the most uh, commonly observed effects is sometimes is to, to lead a, a guided meditation of this kind on loving kindness and then during a, a meditation retreat, either a day long or a weekend or a 10-day retreat, something like that. And then uh, when you're chatting with people or sitting with someone in an interview, it's not uncommon for someone to say, well, I was doing fine. My meditation was going really well until we did that loving-kindness meditation. <laughs> and I just felt this enormous irritation. I found it so annoying that I was having to kind of um, uh, spread this uh, this uh, affection over the world, when all I felt was kind of the the um, the inner Elmer Fudd, <laughs> pesky rabbit, <laughs> that kind of the the grouch, the the inner Scrooge that uh, that just doesn't want to be bothered, is kind of utterly nauseated by sugaring everything over, the kind of inner cynic, kind of gets sometimes gets roused as soon as we say be nice to everyone, then suddenly that bar humbug. You know, I don't want to be nice. Kind of arise, arise up to, and it will surprise us. Like, wow, I didn't know I was so grumpy. Or, boy, that hit a that hit a sore spot. What happened there? So sometimes we can misunderstand or mis misrep, misinterpret what we mean by loving kindness. And so, it's obviously it's not everyone who has that kind of reaction, but it does come. And I think what it's usually due to is when we we feel like we're trying to force ourselves to like everything that we're trying to see the world through a sort of Walt Disney-esque pair of glasses that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if everything was nice mentality that, you know, starts the stomach churning immediately. <laughs> like it's a kind of thinking pink. 
you know, just, just to say that, you know, you start to feel kind of, ugh. <laughs> it's like when you're three years old, you think you can just eat cotton candy from one end of the day to the other and you'd be happy. But it doesn't work that way. And so that something in our heart can re- re- recoil from that. So it's very important to understand that when we talk about loving kindness, we're not trying to make ourselves like everything. And if there's one thing that's, that's most significant about loving kindness, it, it is, it's really this point. Because we're not, we're not trying to have uh, a state of mind where we are trying to pretend that the bitter is sweet, or that, you know, that cruelty is beautiful, or that um, our anger is a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, certainly these elements are, of the world are part of nature. Violence is part of nature. Selfishness is part of nature. Jealousy is part of nature. These certainly exist uh, as elements of the natural world. So having loving kindness towards other beings, towards those who are harmful and destructive, as well as those who are kind of cuddly and, and, and pure-hearted, it doesn't mean to say that we're approving of their actions or that we're pretending that we, we like that. What we're doing is we're, we're saying, this is the way it is right now. So in a way, this is the receiving heart. It's the heart which is accepting the way things are. So, and accepting doesn't mean approving. The, um, one of the main teachings that the Buddha gave on loving kindness was to say, if you were kidnapped by bandits and they were sawing your arms and legs off with a two-handled saw, See, this is the way the Buddha gets your attention. <laughs> it's either with lists or with very graphic images. So this is how we remember things most easily. Okay, here we are. We've been kidnapped by bandits and they're sawing our arms and legs off with a two-handled saw. He says, anyone who gave rise to a thought of hatred towards those, those people on that account would not be, would not be practicing my teaching. <laughs> Right, this is, this is the Olympics, right? <laughs> so that sets the bar pretty high. But it certainly gets our attention, doesn't it? Now, it doesn't mean to say that you have to like it. I'm not saying, oh, I'm terribly sorry that my sinews are so tough. You know, <laughs> if I'd only known, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have eaten so much protein, so it wouldn't be so much work for you to be chopping me up like this. No, it's not bad. It's just, it's that seeing that that gesture in the heart which makes somebody other, that makes someone evil, or that they are sort of intrinsically and absolutely bad or wrong. It's like saying any, any movement of the heart that makes that gesture is intrinsically out of accord with reality. So to, to find loving kindness in this way, an established loving kindness, it means that certainly it's painful and it's shocking and uh, unwanted, but here it is, it's happening. And that, so that one is, in a way, uh, able to find that space in the heart where we don't dwell in aversion, we don't dwell in negativity to, towards other beings. And this is doable. This is certainly something that we can, we can do. Um, the Buddha used that particularly graphic example to say, because in, in many senses we think, well, I mean, just a little bit of hatred... I mean, that seems reasonable, just, you know, it seems totally justified. But he's saying, no, as soon as we make someone other, as soon as we, we um, discriminate 
and, and makes another being into something intrinsically other, apart, separate, wrong, then we have to, at that moment, have lost the reality. Which I find a very powerful and wonderful teaching. So what this comes down to in terms of meditation practice, um, uh, what I find when teaching loving-kindness meditation is rather than thinking of it as a special kind of technique that one does sort of uh, alongside, say, concentration practice or insight practice that we've been talking about in these first few weeks, that it's far more important to really establish that quality of, of real, uh, a real kindness, a real acceptance as the basis of all meditation. Because you might think, I'm a kind of nice person, I'm, I'm kind, I don't have any sort of problems with violence or, or anger, I'm, I'm a very mild, gentle person. But then when we come to start trying to practice meditation and then you know, thoughts, unwanted thoughts and feelings start wading in, then we can find ourselves extraordinarily violent. Like just trying to make the, the thinking mind you know, shut up and go away and, and the, you know, an emotion comes up, say, get out of here. I'm meditating. <laughs> I'm trying to be peaceful. <laughs> and uh, we have this whole fight on our hands where we are trying to wipe out thought, wipe out feeling, wipe out anger, wipe out distraction, so then I can be peaceful. <laughs> I'm developing my spiritual life. <laughs> and so, you know, the very method but whereby we're trying to establish peace is completely unpeaceful. We're and that one of the important qualities of, of Buddhist practice is that the means and the end are completely unified. Like this is absolutely not the case that the means justifies the ends. The means is the end in terms of the Buddhist understanding. So if we use uh, harsh and aggressive means to control the mind, to wipe out distraction, to um, force the mind not to feel fear or, or aversion or, or desire, then that fierce, aggressive, discordant uh, attitude will be there with the result. It has to be. Whereas if we use a kind of gentle, peaceful, and harmonious means, then naturally the, the result has to mirror those same qualities. So this, this doesn't mean just uh, sort of sitting back and saying, everything is fine. Ajahn Amaro said, be kind to everything. Okay. <laughs> Here comes the chattering mind, fine. <laughs> Being distracted for the, you know, the you know, entire half hour. Okay, that's fine. You know, I'm completely lost. Gone off to India, Peru, and, and uh, Paris you know, a couple of times, but that's fine. Or I've been wallowing in some kind of uh, uh, resentful uh, mood, or I've been filled with, with um, kind of self-critical uh, gnashings. That's fine. It's not a matter of just letting the, the mind do whatever it wants. What this means by, by uh, loving-kindness is rather, rather like a mother trains a child, or we train an animal, is that you don't just let that child do what it wants. It's like you say, well, Ajahn Amaro says, you know, you have to, to love everything, accept everything. So when the three-year-old says, can I drive, Mommy? You say, no, honey. <laughs> or you stop at the side of the road, and you take the ignition key out, and you say, okay, off you go, now you can drive. But you don't hand the wheel to the three-year-old on the freeway, right? So what we do is, is we are establishing that basis of kindness in terms of, first of all, recognizing everything belongs. That the distracted thought belongs, the focus on the breath belongs, 
the the wave of of uh, of uh, anger belongs the uh, the wave of fear the the restless sensations the the, um, the fantasies about this and that and the other they all belong along with the benevolent and pure thoughts so we establish that quality of absolute belonging everything has its place in nature so there's a basis of loving kindness of wholehearted acceptance and then on that basis of of wholehearted acceptance then we bring in discriminative wisdom and what this means is to say okay well I can see a value in training my mind to focus rather as you can see well I can see a value in training my three-year-old how to handle a spoon how to feed themselves I can see a value in training my child how to use the the toilet the bathroom I can see a value in teaching my animal you know with to, to pee outside rather than inside <laughs> so we don't uh, we don't um, look upon those discriminations as some kind of big spiritual problem it's like this practical necessity so similarly we see there's a value in training the mind to focus there's a value in training the mind to develop awareness but that's not by starting a, a, a war against thought or hating our emotions so an example I often like to use it's rather like here we are in Ukiah so if I want to go to Redwood Valley say at the end of the evening then when Larry pulls out onto the road and there we are on, on the, uh, the kind of slip road for the freeway we want to go north we don't want to go south so we take the ramp that heads north it doesn't mean to say that south is bad and wrong and evil it's not saying that this thought or this emotion or this idea is, is evil it's just we don't want to go that way we want to go towards the breath rather than towards you know, plans for next week's holiday that's all so that we, we discriminate but it's a discrimination just made on, on a basis of practicality of simplicity not on um, get out of here you don't belong or like breath get back to the breath back to the breath <laughs> as some kind of um, draconian uh, regime that we're employing trying to force the mind to behave so this way we're, we're using uh, direction we're applying intention and effort we're directing uh, our mind but there's that wholehearted uh, affection and uh, benevolence that is based upon it's a cooperation it's a cooperative effort with our nature not starting a struggle against it So um, before we have the, the guided meditation period, is uh, I said a lot of things there. So I just want to just check in and see if that was what I was saying was was clear enough, or if people have any particular questions before we begin. That did that make sense or not? Yeah. Are you saying that the problem with making something other is that we're, we're refusing to see it, we're sort of closing it out or, or banishing it, and therefore we're distancing ourselves from what's real? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, in that in that gesture, we're saying something is intrinsically and absolutely wrong with the universe right now. There's this element of life which doesn't belong, which should not be. And the, like like my own teacher would say, if it shouldn't be this way, it wouldn't be this way. <laughs> he was very good at these kind of one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> if it shouldn't be this way, it wouldn't be this way. 
which sounds very kind of depressing or sort of uh, a kind of fatalistic, but it's not really. It's extraordinarily realistic. It's like saying, whether we like it or not, it's like this. You know, that's like, uh, how many of us have had that feeling, if only I was somebody different? <laughs> if only I wasn't me, <laughs> or just a little bit different, then things would be really you know, much better, I'm sure, if I was just a little bit different. But we are what we are. So it's that kind of ultimate realism of, of uh, seeing that, yeah, this is painful, or this is unjust, or this is ugly, but this is the fact of nature. So starting, always being ready to start from that point. Because if we, if we don't start from that point, it's rather like saying, you know, that kind of old joke of when someone stops uh, in their car and asks for directions, and they, they kind of talk to a passerby, and the, and the passerby says, oh, I wouldn't, you know, you can't get to there from here. Or if you want to, you know, if you want to get to Redwood Valley, you know, you, sh- you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be starting from here, you should start from Fort Bragg. <laughs> like, that we have to start from where we are. Can't. Yeah. Are you saying then that our only way to be in touch with reality is through the heart? The Basically. That's very well put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's our contact point with with the fundamental reality of things. Okay, so if people want to stretch your legs for a minute and then we'll have the first uh, sitting period. meditator has to be in a lotus position. Why not? <laughs> once you, once you, the body is trained to sit this is in a lotus posture, then it's, it's actually the most comfortable position to sit in. Actually. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, the body is very well balanced and uh, you have like the it, su- it supports the um, 
like the flow of energy in the body. It uh, helps the mind to be as bright as possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not just a sort of some kind of perverse habit. Yeah. No, it's it's like the the body is in its most sort of stable and uh, a kind of uh, comfortable position. It takes a long time to train it to to do that, but once it's the joints are loosened up, then it's um it's the most uh, balanced and energetic. Um, kind of easeful posture. <coughs> okay. Once again, beginning by taking note of how you feel, what our mood is right now, before we try to do anything with the body or the mind, just to check in, see how we feel, physically, mentally, what's the body like, what's the mood like. There's no right starting place, whether we're happy or unhappy, tired, energetic, hot, cold. Whatever it is, this is where we start from. So just to begin by acknowledging, appreciating just that much. attention into the body. Noticing how the body feels. Now focusing for a moment just on the spine. Letting the body grow upwards, reaching. Allowing the spine to lengthen, to stretch a little lending this quality of attentiveness, alertness.
when you find the spine is settled into a good, strong, upright form, and let the rest of the body relax around that. Taking a moment to sweep the attention from the top of the head all the way through the body, right down to our feet, our fingertips. Wherever you find any kind of tension, just let the body relax there. Fully allowing ourselves to soften, to settle, to be at ease at this moment. and drawing the attention to the heart center, the center of the chest. Let's feel the rhythm of the breath right there. Not trying to change the breath or do anything with it. Just focusing the attention right here at our very heart. Feeling the body breathing following its own rhythm.
uh, in whatever way we can or wish to, bring to mind some person or some animal, some, some being that we have complete and unconditional affection for, or whatever the greatest degree of, of warmth and friendliness some person that's alive or passed away, whatever way, shape or form it, it manifests for us. Even if it's a love for some divine being. Whatever it might be. Just bringing that forth, holding that, that being in our heart. feeling that quality of, of unreserved love and, and kindness, warmth, acceptance of that person and being. Not writing any stories, just very, very simply bringing that quality of their presence to mind, holding it in the heart, feeling that warmth, that openness that arises with that. This image, this quality, like the, the spark that kindles our heart, like the, the flame that ignites the candle, the spark that ignites this quality of, of metta, benevolence within our heart. So the fire having been lit, it's light generated here within our heart. Then with each in-breath, just to imagine, to visualize as if we are we're breathing in the air of this room, breathing in the energy of this present moment, breathing in the, the situation, the pattern of this present moment, breathing it all in, the energy of the present, breathing it into the heart on the in-breath, 
and transforming all the energy of the present moment, the sounds we hear, the feelings, the thoughts, the air, as if the heart transforms all of that energy into this light of loving-kindness. And then as we breathe out, imagine that light gathering, spreading at our heart, reaching forth into our own body. As if our heart were like a lamp or beacon, a light source, taking in the fuel of each moment, transforming it, and slowly spreading through the body, reaching from the heart, spreading through the chest, slowly filtering through us. With each out-breath, spreading the light further and further through the body, Filling the body with this quality of friendliness, kindness towards our own physical being, our organs, our bones, our blood, our muscles, our joints. With each out-breath, slowly edging, inching through the body, out to the limits of our skin, like a warm, gentle, golden light filling the whole frame of our body, slowly, gently soaking into every corner, right to our fingertips, our toes, our bones, our bowels, Each in-breath, sustaining this quality of taking in the energy of this moment, transforming it in the heart, 
from the heart, breathing it forth, spreading it forth, till the body is swelling, filled, brimming with this gentle, bright energy of kindness, fully accepting the body as it is, with all its strengths and weaknesses, powers and ailments. Loving it just the way it is. Accepting it just the way it is. And as the body gets so filled with this, the presence of this energy, filled with this bright benevolence, slowly that, that light starts to filter through our skin, spreading around us. So our whole body becomes a beacon, a light source. The heart breathing in the energy of this moment breathing out, pouring forth the same quality of affection, spreading out, radiating from our heart throughout this whole room, reaching into each other, spreading through each other, filling all of the space of this chamber, passing through all the bodies and beings of all of us gathered here, the fabric of the room, filling this whole space with a kindly attitude, well-wishing. With each out-breath, spreading it further, stronger, Gently pouring forth, filling this whole space. spreading beyond the bounds of this room, reaching out, spreading forth from this building, reaching out through the, the town around us, through the trees and streets, the air, through the cars, the buildings, without discrimination, through the houses of our friends, through the courthouse, the Walmart, 
the stores, the shops, the empty spaces. The county offices, the local jail, the schools and playing fields, passing through people, dogs, cats, and cockroaches, all the beings of this area, feeling, imagining this light spreading, surrounding, permeating the whole space of this town passing through every wall, every creature, every space, gently spreading forth, reaching forth, generated, generated by this very heart of ours, steadily, incessantly, breathing in the energy of this moment, transforming it into this living light, this kindly well-wishing, reaching forth, filling this whole area of Ukiah, the whole limits of the town. breath, our range getting stronger, reaching forth, spreading through the whole area outside of the town, reaching across the county, across the hills, through the trees, the forests, across the rivers, the creeks, the springs, through the dens of foxes and bears, under the ground, through the rocks and subterranean waters, through the air, encompassing, filling the birds, the insects, the butterflies, the creatures of the water, all the people of the, the hills, the valleys, woven in and out of the whole county, across the vineyards, the pear orchards, wild forests, the lakes, the roads, spreading forth to the ocean, the crashing waves on the shore, out to the lakes, the forests of the north, and the vineyards and farms of the south. Each breath getting larger, the power of the heart growing greater, spreading this light indiscriminately, incessantly, pouring it forth. Beyond this county, 
itching across the ocean under the waters, permeating all the sea creatures, the sea, the fishes, the whales, turtles, jellyfish, the tiny microscopic plankton, the creatures of the shore and the rock pools. South to the Bay Area, thousands of acres of buildings and blacktop, teeming people, all states of being, the prisoners of San Quentin, the rich of Pacific Heights, across through all the regions of California, and down to the south, across to the desert. sweeping forth in all directions, reaching, spreading with each breath. The fertile places, the dry places, the cold, the hot, the wet, high and low, reaching through every corner. Our heart, the generator of this great light, inexhaustible, reaching across the whole country, across the ocean, north and south. Oregon, Washington. Arizona, New Mexico. Colorado. Down to the south in Mexico, Baja. Across the ocean, reaching out wrapping, reaching, spreading the cold waters of the north to Canada, to Hawaii, down to the south. It's visualizing the whole earth slowly being embraced, wrapped, encompassed, edging around the whole planet like our fingers Gently, slowly, wrapping the whole globe, embracing the whole globe. From this very heart, this infinitely resourceful, inexhaustible heart, this gentle light, reaching, enfolding, embracing the whole planet, this beautiful, green and blue jewel, all the beings of the planet, those at war, those at peace, the saintly, the profane, the violent, the victims, high and low in all states of being without discrimination, permeating the fabric, the hearts, the nature of all beings, all the land and waters, the air, filling this whole planet, wrapping the whole planet, embraced in this field of, of kindness.
and spreading forth from this spot out into space, beyond the earth, through the, the solar system, Venus, Mars, Mercury, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, to the sun, the moon, spreading out, racing, reaching without limit. Like light itself, incalculably fast, filling the whole of space, this galaxy, the spaces between the galaxies. Filling all of space without discrimination in all directions, up and down, all around us. Without obstruction. The entirety of space, the universe, filled with the presence of this infinite kindness, unconditional well-wishing, acceptance. This is the way life is. This is the way the universe is. as we race and reach to the very edges of the universe, we find a, a limit, a boundary. And right at the edges of the universe, we find that it's the shape of our own body. crown of the head. If the whole universe is encased within this one frame, this being, the body of the universe filled with this infinite kindness, acceptance, is resting with that feeling. Allowing the heart to rest in this.
So please uh, give your legs a little stretch if you need to. free to bring up any kind of questions or doubts or comments. This is like an open time for uh, discussion and so forth. Don't be shy. If anything is sort of unclear or um, whatever, uh, please, I'll be happy to help out whatever way I can. I can understand the notion of acceptance. What about acceptance and affecting change? Affecting change in the world. How does it affect change in the world? Well, it's like uh, Suzuki Roshi used to say uh, everything is absolutely perfect exactly as it is, but there's always room for improvement. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's in a way, that's um, what we're doing is, is say, attuning the heart to the way things are, but then part of the way things are is our own uh, aspect, our own attributes of, of wisdom, of sensitivity to time and place, our own sensitivity to what can be done to make uh, life more peaceful, more um, uh, beneficial more uh, safe and uh, and uh, free from harm for ourselves and for other beings. So it's not a kind of pa- passivity that acceptance is by no means um, just uh, as I was trying to communicate, kind of just sitting back and letting everything happen. Like I was using the examples of training a child or training an animal, you don't just let it, the world do its thing. But our actions and our intentions and our capacity to, to alter the world is part of the way the world is. But it's a point of coming uh, at that action from a place of attunement to reality, not from some reactive um, opinion, some kind of habit, some uh, motivation guided by fear or irritation or uh, a kind of distorted view of things. So then the action, if we take action from that kind of basis, then it, we can be speaking out for something. We can, we can be opposing others quite vigorously, but we're not opposing them because we hate them or because we th- we're looking at them as intrinsically other. It's because, you know, th- that... Uh, for the benefit of all beings, this particular thing needs to be obstructed. It's just like if your kid is running out into the street chasing after a ball, you, know, you grab the child by the shirt, you know, even if that's going to hurt the kid, because you, you see there's a truck coming, and if you don't yank the kid back, then the, the child's going to die. 
you don't just stand on the pavement, on the sidewalk and say, well, this is the way things are. Bye-bye, Johnny. You know, that's kind of, that's utter stupidity. Right? So that um, sometimes it's necessary to take action which is other people are very unhappy about. Um, but you're not doing it to make them unhappy, you're doing it out of a, your own attunement to what is for the, the greater good. And that, that's always a tricky area. I'm doing this for your own good. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, do, please. Yeah. yeah, there's another question there. Yeah. If you could speak up a little bit so that everyone can hear. The pain of the suffering. Mm. It just gets worse as you go out. As you go out into the world. Mm. The other creatures that are coming, how do you deal with it? Mm. Well, the, the sense of um, Caring is um, is always balanced by the qualities of of uh, of wisdom. Like a mother needs to attach to her child, right? And if a mother doesn't attach to her child, the child's in deep trouble. But then, um, if a mother becomes possessive of the child, then there's even worse trouble. So that um, the one, the kind of skill that you know, Buddhist teachings and the meditation is, is aimed at cultivating in this respect is how can we care completely but without that kind of possessive edge where we're caught up in that. So that like, if, you're, if, you're, if you have a child and the child is, is experiencing great suffering or is sick, then we, we feel a sense of grief or we feel a kind of pain because of the, the child's difficulty. Um, so we're not trying to suppress that and to pretend that everything's okay in that respect of that we're glad this is happening. But we can empathize if we're not sort of caught up in that possessive or possessiveness or identified with that feeling. We can feel the pain, we can empathize with the pain of another being but without um, being in, becoming entangled in that. And so English doesn't really quite have a word for that. Because when we use a word like compassion, which I was um, aiming to speak a little bit about next week, the word compassion tends to, it literally means suffering with. That's where the, the, it comes from. Um, compassio, the Latin, means to suffer with. So, the Buddhist sense of, of compassion doesn't quite, is not quite the same. So that we, we are um, able to empathize with the suffering of another being, but from the Buddhist point of view, to truly have compassion for another being is not a state of suffering. Do you see what I mean? 
so that we can we can in a way uh, empathize with the pain another being is is feeling without being entangled in it in the same way and actually that's that's the in a way the greatest gift that we can give to another being when they're in a painful state is that complete empathy but without being pulled into their own um, like their own vortex or or um, kind of sucked into the the uh, the kind of lostness that a being might might be experiencing so it's kind of tricky to talk about because the the English language doesn't really have a word that quite describes that but this is the quality that we're aiming at so it's not like a kind of cold distancing there's a total empathy but there's no confusion about it so say for example um, we can experience grief like if we lose someone that we love or we, we've done something or something has happened that is extremely painful I mean I've had the experience where I've had like tears running down my face with a, a feeling of immense grief um, for some incredibly stupid thing that I'd done that had caused a huge amount of pain and difficulty to others actually it was about starting the monastery here in California <laughs> incidentally <laughs> I can kind of look at cheerfully from you know a distance, <laughs> but at the time it was very very difficult, and I'd kind of completely blown it. I'd, I'd missed my shot completely, and uh, and so it was like I'd screwed up royally, and everyone was angry with me, and I'd really made a mess of things. And I was sitting there, it was kind of slumped against the wall, and there's tears pouring down my face, and this extraordinarily painful feeling of of grief and sadness. And yet it was completely peaceful. And as soon as my mind started to kind of think about it or start to make a, a sort of story or like go into, oh, poor me, or if only, then the tears would stop. And then as soon as I let go of trying to verbalize it, explain it, write a commentary about it, then and just let go and just let the feeling be there, the feeling was actually stronger, but it was also like held within this, this embrace of of peace and and a, a, a real mindfulness and this was a very strange and powerful experience for me because the thinking about it actually made it less painful but it was also kind of divorced from the reality so in a way I mean that was a very extreme situation but in a way being able to just allow ourselves to feel the pain of a situation but without confusion is uh, is uh, in a way the aim, so that we're we're not cutting ourselves off from the experience, but we're not swept up by it, and that when we feel like a, as a parent or, or just in relating to the other beings of the world or the kind of stress of the world situation on the human level, right now in so many places around the planet, in the Middle East and in India, Pakistan, Afghanistan. And, in South America, I mean, so many places that the terrible things are happening, Colombia and you know, Argentina and all over, that if we, are, if we kind of have you know, kindness without wisdom or you know, compassion without wisdom, then we get swept up and carried away with that. If, we, if that's balanced with wisdom, then we can empathize with other beings and their pain, but that that balance is sustained. Is that helpful? 
I mean, there's, if there's more to that, please. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, it's a lifetime's occupation, I think, because in a way we don't know that area of our own being. We're either sort of cold and shut off, or, or sort of swept away and, and carried around by the, 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 the floods of feeling. And we don't know that kind of middle, the middle way. That middle ground is sort of unknown to us. So it takes practice, you know, like a lot of just teasing that out. So at first it's just kind of, oh, I think I, oh, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally like that, you know, a second here, a couple of seconds there. And, but, but our heart actually knows that space. In our heart of hearts, we know that place. So in a way, it's, it's like uncovering that and learning to trust, just being in that, that place, like, oh, I get it. It's like, like learning to ride a bicycle when you're a kid, it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> for a second you can do it on the two wheels and then over you go. And slowly it becomes like, ah, oh, I know this space. You, you kind of learn how to balance. Oh, I get it. You pedal and you stay upright, right. <laughs> and then you slowly find that and then you can kind of get go to that and, and live from that space more and more easily. Yeah, you had a can question. You, if you can, you can speak up. That, can you say how that is related to attachment? Well, if we... If we pick something up, like I can say, I'm attached to this bell striker. I'm holding it. So that we, we, we pick something up. So attaching is not the problem. If I, answer, if I then say, this is mine, then nothing, I, you, it's almost indistinguishable. People at the back probably can't see, but my grip has changed and my hand is vibrating. There's tension in my arm. So that there's possessiveness, there's clinging, to use the sort of Buddhist jargon. There's clinging going on. This is tense. I mean, I'm just kind of playing at it while I'm talking, but it's still very uncomfortable. So then, to let go, it's just to relax like that. So I haven't even put it down. But I've just changed the manner of the grip. So that it's not as though we have to just get rid of things. Non-attachment doesn't mean to say doing without things, like getting rid of your wristwatch and your, <laughs> and your automobile and your house and your partner and your income and, <laughs> you know, all of that, you know. It might help, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessary. <laughs> you know, I am a monk, so it's kind of... You know, it's possible to screen that out, but it is kind of... It's out there, right? So, but... So it's not so much attachment, it's not picking things up, because, you know, if you, you can pick something up and hold it, and then put it down. That's a useful and very necessary part of life. So that the problems come when it's with, with the clinging and possessiveness. This is mine, you're not going to have it. This is the best goddamn bell striker in the whole world. And anyone who thinks different is in for a fight, you know. Or, or don't you like it? Yeah. They don't like it. <laughs> What's wrong with my bell striker, Lee? What do you think about? You think I'm you think I'm silly, don't you? You know, we can do anything with it. You know, we can create a whole sort of 
crises, dramas, all sorts out of it. <laughs> you know, name your own particular obsession you know, that, that we get upset about. And so that attach, you know, it's not so much picking things up, but, but clinging to them. So just like we have a personality, we have a body. So we function through that. So it's not like Buddhist practice is saying, you know, the Buddha's teaching and meditation is trying to make us into a, a non-person. Like wiping out the personality, you know, nullifying the body. It's like, no, you, you function through the personality, through the body. You know, it's not like that is an obstruction. So we attach that, we look after it, we take care of it. It's like we pick it up, we use it. But then if we cling to it, or we get possessive about it, then the trouble starts. So it's not so much a not attaching, it's more like learning how to, to pick things up when we need to pick them up, and then putting them down when we need to put them down. Which is all that sort of mindfulness uh, of time and place is about. So, you know, loving kindness, and the kind of theme that I was talking about for the, this evening, is that, that, in a way, that attunement to the, the present moment, where we can kind of pick things up, and, and, and use them, and, uh, and to, say, to, to be able to discriminate. Okay, this is, this is absolutely perfect the way it is. It doesn't have to be any different. It's absolutely fine what it is. And then we, we use it as we need. That we kind of, uh, if, we, if, we, if I want to strike the bell, I can strike it. If I want to give an example in a Dhamma talk, I can pick it up and use it. But if I kind of carry it around with me, saying, this is absolutely perfect, just the way it is, and then I you know, refuse to be parted from it, then you know, the other people in the monastery are going to start thinking I'm pretty weird. Like, Ashnamo has been carrying this bell striker with him for a week now, <laughs> and he just keeps saying it's perfect the way it is. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So, you know, we, we, that's what I was saying in the beginning about you know, have this sort of basis of, of wholehearted acceptance. It is perfect the way it is, and, and so I, I pick it up when I need to use it, and I put it down when I don't need to use it. Just like there's nothing wrong with the road, you know, 101 going south, it's just, you know, we need to go north. So that um, that kind of, uh, of, uh, of uh, discrimination uh, on a basis of uh, like a attunement to the present is, is a, uh, is a very important principle because sometimes we get afraid of discriminating. You know, people talk about the non-discriminating mind or non-dualism. It's very big in Buddhist circles. Non-duality is, is big stuff these days. <laughs> so that makes dualism seem really kind of cheap and kind of unwanted. But a bit of duality is kind of useful. Like if you want to, if I want to get back to the monastery, I'm kind of you've got to choose, right? Go north, don't go south. You know, if we get to the get to the freeway and Larry says there is no north and south. <laughs> In ultimate reality, there is neither north nor south, nor even here, or there. Says so, Larry, can we go home? <laughs> this is not the time for non-dualism. Can we? <laughs> so that that kind of non-attachment is, uh, and like that way working with that is like being able to pick things up at the right time, put them down at the right time, which in a, in, in a more sort of um, crucial sense it can also, or in terms of the more sort of pithy areas of relating to other people, it means 
when there's something to say, then we say it. If there's nothing to say, then we don't say anything. If we need to say something uh, gentle and sweet, we say it. If we need to say something harsh, we'll say it. So that, you know, that, that um, discrimination of, of uh, how to act at any time, it's, you know, that it needs to be based on that fundamental acceptance. But then we have to use our, that wisdom, attentiveness to the, the situation to see what's right. Like in that particular situation, uh, the Buddha talked about several criteria that he used in order to decide what to say and when to people. So that uh, he said, if something is true and, and uh, pleasant to hear, but not beneficial, then he wouldn't say it. If it's true, beneficial, and pleasant to hear, then he'd know the right time to say it. If it's not true, he'd never say it. If it's not beneficial, he'd never say it. Right? If it's true and beneficial and unpleasant to hear, then again, he would know the right time to say that. So those are really useful criteria. I mean, obviously we fall short all the time. And I'm sure Leaf has got a whole... This is Anagarika Leaf, by the way. This is one of our novices. He's sure he's got a whole list of the occasions when I've fallen short just in the last week. <laughs> I thought that wasn't very beneficial. <laughs> that was completely idle chatter. But uh, at least having that criteria in our consciousness is very helpful. To know when we're trying to, de- to decide what to say or how to communicate, to, to be with others, sometimes you know, the, what we need to do or to say is not welcome. People don't want to hear it, but when we see this is true, this is this is this is factual, and this is beneficial. Okay, what's the right time to convey this? And uh, following that that through, um, there's actually another five criteria that the Buddha used um, for or, or uh, described to the monastic order of how to give negative feedback. Okay, this is where the notebooks come out, right? <laughs> the, the five criteria for giving negative feedback um, is to speak with a heart of loving kindness, like, which means basically it's got to be for, for them, not for you. Like, and so that means that sometimes we have to wait, because if I want to set you straight because you're, you're mucking up my world, and, if you, and if, you, if you were different, my world would be fine. Right? You know that feeling? If you, just were, if you just behaved differently, if you just straightened out this misconduct or this kind of foolish attitude of yours, then my world will be fine. There will be no wrinkles in it. Right? So if that's the case, don't say anything. <laughs> and on one instance that I've often mentioned, I actually waited for two years. I was in some kind of righteously indignant state. There was some, <laughs> some, some senior monk of my order was... Um, doing things and acting in ways that I didn't like and I thought were wrong and everyone agreed with me <laughs> of course but no one was saying anything but I could see that I wanted him to be different because he was a kind of blot in my world and it was, and it was basically because it was I was irritated and I wanted him to be different so that I wouldn't be irritated and so I saw that that was not the, the right motivation for it so I literally waited for two years until I got to the place where I could sincerely feel, poor guy, 
he really doesn't see what he's doing. He just keeps colliding with people, left, right, and center. Um, he really doesn't see what he's doing. And then the, uh, the motivation to speak to him was for his benefit. And whether I got anything out of it or I felt you know, my, my spleen was vented was beside the point. It was really just for, for, for his benefit. So to speak with a heart of loving kindness is number one. To ask permission to bring, bring it up, first of all. Like, would it be all right, in, oftentimes in our kind of monastic code of, of uh, conversation, it's like, um, could I mention something to you? <laughs> then you say, <laughs> uh-oh, <laughs> here it comes, what's this? So you ask permission to bring something up with somebody. You choose the right time and the place so that I wouldn't turn to say to Leaf, don't you ever wash your jacket, Leaf? How can you bear to come out in public with such, a, you know, such grubby clothing? Of course, Leaf is absolutely spotless. <laughs> so I can freely say that. So. Imaginary example, because I was, when I was in white as a novice, I was so grubby. They used to tease me, they had to ordain me because I was turning brown anyway. <laughs> I, I could never get the laundry thing down. So, so that was, if, if Leaf was a grubby anagarica, then in front of 60 or 70 people would not be the place to bring up his kind of shoddy laundry habits. <laughs> It's, that's the wrong time and place. So you choose a situation where you're not going to kind of embarrass people or make it difficult for them in public. You kind of choose a suitable situation, sometimes on neutral ground or some kind of informal, easy moment. So then, uh, loving kindness, ask permission, right time and place. You stick to the facts. Ah. <laughs> That's a real downer. It's getting harder. It's getting really harder. The last one's the real kicker. <laughs> so you have to stick to the facts of what you know to be true. So rather than like, you know, uh, when you when you spoke to me yesterday, I, I was I was uh, uh, I was really upset about what, what you said because you, you always have this attitude about me. It's like no 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 no. When you spoke to me yesterday, I felt such and such, and I assume, and I, I got the impression that your attitude was, right? Tell the difference. Mm -hmm. So you're not making any suppositions. You're not acting on hearsay. It's like what you see, what you know, and what the the fact of the, the facts of the situation are. The last one, which I'll finish with for this evening, is you have to be free of the same fault yourself. Oh, So it, so it kind of cuts down the. Uh, <laughs> right. But just ha even if we fall short, just having those criteria in mind, you know, you can see how, you know, you're, it, it, it just having those criteria in mind can be incredibly helpful. Just because obviously we slip and we we don't quite make it a lot of the time, but just having those criteria. Uh, in consciousness and just being able to, to stay as close to that as we can then we see and the reason why it's not just because the Buddha was trying to put a sort of out of a perverse sense of humor trying to put a whole bunch of really difficult obstacles in our way that see whether we can climb over them or not but more it's like 
if we can, the more fully we can establish our, our speech from, uh, from that kind of basis, the more fully we'll be able to communicate. So what we say is not just a proclamation, it's a communication. Because communication takes a reception as well as a transmission, right? It's very easy to transmit and to have no receiver operating. <laughs> so to communicate, we need to have a receiver and a transmitter. A, so that this is a way that we can really speak. And in that incident that I was describing where I waited for a couple of years, what I found to my amazement was not only was, because I wasn't coming from a place of, of harshness or negativity, but from kindness, that I was actually able to say far more, uh, ex far more extensive detail and far more depth of criticism than I even fantasized <laughs> in my most extreme ranting internally. Because it's like oh, the guy was really open. It's like, oh, really? Is that the way people perceive it? Oh, I don't mean that at all. Oh, that's terrible. I didn't realize that. And even if we're terribly polite, even if we're being very nice, <laughs> but what we mean is, you're a, you're a dumb idiot, and I can't believe that you, that you act the way that you do, and I'm going to be very dharmic and set you straight for your own benefit. <laughs> you know, excuse me, there's something I'd like to share with you. <laughs> you know, immediately the barriers come up. It's like, yeah, what? Huh? Well, not, not right now. You know, we put the barriers up and we, we don't let anything in. So the more that we can really establish these qualities, then the more that we find there's an openness in the other and that um, we can work out our difficulties. We can, we can sort through our, the, our tense relationships and, and struggles and we can also express our sort of political opinions and take, take positions on a social front and get stuff done in the world far more effectively than just by sheer sort of brute force and attacking you know some some being or some institution or some person that we've created as as the other that should be set straight once we're we're both on the same side then we can we can do stuff okay so that's enough for this evening so uh, wisdom and compassion next week, and but before then we have our great event, Mary and I, Sunday. Sunday. So over, yes, Mary. Um, on Sunday.